This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Welcome back to another episode of Reclaiming Families. Thank you all for coming back and listening to part two of Mark and Sherry's story um, with their infertility journey and how they fought to trust the Lord during this. Um, Before we get started hearing the rest of their story, I would like to remind you to give this podcast a rating and review. We would love for you to share it. Uh, We've said it once. We'll say it again. This podcast series has been so encouraging. So uh, keep on sharing it so that others can be encouraged and also celebrate life. But um, we literally just kind of cut their podcast interview in half um, so that we could make two episodes out of it. And so that we could get the most from it. Um, But to get you up to speed, they had been trying to get pregnant, um, trying to adopt, and things just were not working out. Not pregnancy, not adoption. And then finally, they were able to get pregnant and then had a miscarriage at six weeks. And so that is where we are picking back up with Mark and Sherry. But I would really encourage you, if you have not yet listened to part one, you're coming in on the middle of the story here. So definitely go back and listen to part one and then come back and uh, hear the end of the story. I just wanted to include that of just, we kind of had a plan and it just seemed like all of our plans just kept falling apart. And then when we weren't expecting uh, to get pregnant, we get pregnant. And then start planning again and being excited and then have a miscarriage. So it's like, okay, how do we, how do we do this? What's going on? Yeah. Cause I guess I'm, I'm hearing you say that there was like the pregnancy part wasn't working out. The adoption part wasn't working out. And then it's like, it finally happened. And you know, this is a side note, but Sherry, I remember the first time I got pregnant and every like, during all the celebration i feel like the lord like sovereignly had you say to me like i remember you grabbed my arm and you looked at me in the eyes and said hillary right now like no matter what happens right now you have life and life deserves to be celebrated that's right and there was no reason i feel like that you would say that to me and like it wasn't like i was like oh am i gonna have a miscarriage or something like that but you said that to me and I feel like that freed me up to celebrate. And we only had that baby for nine weeks. And it was a sweet time of celebrating. And I feel like it was partly because, like, you, I remember you grabbing me and looking at me in the eyes and telling me that. And um, so, I don't know, just hearing you say that just then, like, you celebrated, you went out, you bought the books. Um, I remember you saying one time you filled the fridge with healthy food. And uh-huh. you, you celebrated the life that you had, and then you grieved the life that was lost as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, a, a significant side note, too, just as you and Randy have focused so much on, uh, you know, celebrating life, and you are both very passionate about being the author of life and how that should be 
revered and honored and protected. And when I, that was just another substantial step in what God was doing in my faith about who he is. Because I remember talking to a friend that maybe we're not, we were not necessarily on the same page, maybe our, our theology and she miscarried around the same time. And, and I remember just commenting, we can celebrate that we will meet this child in heaven. And she was like, "Mm, no, I don't believe that. This was just a clump of cells. Hmm. And, um, and it, 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 it rocked me a little bit where I had to, like, I just made an assumption. Um, and I, you know, I remember just kind of going back and, and, and having to wrestle through that again, like, do I believe that this tiny, this tiny six week old, you know, life was life, was a person, was a soul. Mm. And, the Lord just again met me there like a resounding yes that's good um, that's right. a resounding yes this this is life in your womb this is not a clump of cells you are a mother and this soul will meet you one day <laughs> um and you know if I it's just it's cool how the Lord there are sometimes you just we just kind of whip through and aren't challenged on some of our beliefs, but it it is a gift to have to be challenged there sometimes. Yeah, and and really wrestle with the Lord and ask Him to reveal just beautiful truths to mm-hmm. the heart to deepen conviction. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry. At the same time, it was also cool that those four years prior of struggling with infertility and the, those promises of God and is he present and is he sovereign and is he in control? He, you know, at that point I saw he has been preparing me for this moment. Mm -hmm. So that, that moment I had in the bathroom back in Thailand, um, was substantially more painful. Now, now losing this baby was painful, but there was a quick piece came because I, we had wrestled with those truths already. Yeah. And it was, God, I don't understand why you're doing this, but I trust you. Like, I am convinced that you are in this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like his, you know, just a, you know, put a, put a picture to it. It's, it's almost as if we got familiar to his comforting hug in the midst of, you know, great confusion and pain, and uh, that, that he is a place, he is our refuge. Um, he's he's in all the things, he's in all of it, but but I think there was something about uh, just that that faith over over the years and disappointment and pain. It's still real and real and deep, but yet uh, the Lord's uh, embrace. Um, I just feel like it was a little to use the word easier is probably not the right word, but it's just more familiar. Just his, his embrace, his, I'm, I'm here. I, I will, I will take care of y'all. That's good. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you said when, like when that piece came over you, 
you said like you were confident that the Lord would get the glory for it and mm-hmm. that 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 brought peace. So, you know, you guys are going through all of this and I imagine that everybody your age is, you know, you know, getting married and having kids. How did you celebrate life or how did you struggle to celebrate life and, you know, celebrate or struggle to celebrate everybody or mm-hmm. seemingly everybody around you having kids in their lives, feeling like they're moving forward and you all not having the thing that you really wanted to have. Why don't you share about our friend that came to the yeah. church, maybe give her a different name, maybe. When we were, when we were in Thailand and two, he's just, God is so good. And, um, before we got married, I was, I was kind of in a, a circle of women who I was like a younger friend on the outside of the circle and several of them were getting pregnant and one couldn't. And I saw the pain that that created in the context of relationships. And I remember mm-hmm. just being exposed to that and watching the dynamic and thinking, wow, that must be really hard. And then fast forward, we're in Thailand and it, felt like it was even more concentrated there because our community was so condensed. Yeah. Um, And literally every woman that I had a relationship with had children or was pregnant um, during that time. And I knew that it it would be difficult. And I think I wanted to just tell myself, no, Sherry, you – you would never be so selfish as to have a hard time when someone else gets pregnant. Um, but I did for sure. It, it, you know, in the middle of trying and wanting and desiring, and then someone else make, you know, an announcement of their pregnancy was just very, very painful. And I hated that it was painful. You know, I felt, um, ashamed that, I couldn't unreservedly um, automatically be excited, but I would really take that to the Lord. Like, okay, God, I've seen what can happen if you withdraw in a painful situation, help me not do that. And so just continue to walk into those spaces where women were pregnant and celebrating while I was hurting. But, Um, and, and he would meet me there, but it didn't take that pain away. So, but I, I really tried hard, not again, not to withdraw, but to move towards those people and those situations. But one day, um, of, we had a team of several families, but one of the couples had just found out they were pregnant with their second baby. And we were in the thick of the infertility and our whole team knew, I think this was when we were in maybe I was getting treatments done or something. And she um, came to my house and sat down at my table and said she had something to talk to me about. And she grabbed my hands and with tears in her eyes, she told me that she was pregnant. And, and she gave me space. I have never felt such empathy in my entire life. Like, she expected it to be difficult. And so she met me there 
and she gave me space to be like to just cry with her but then to quickly celebrate and we prayed together thank you god for this life and we trust you for where we were but i have i had never up to that point and and maybe never since experienced you know what I mean? She was so sacrificial in that moment because she could have just been like, well, you know what? It's not, I can't help it that Sherry can't get pregnant. And right. I can. I'm not going to acknowledge this. That's uncomfortable. But she, she walked right in the front door and she acknowledged, but she was not apologizing. She wasn't apologizing that she was pregnant. Right. She was just acknowledging that that could be painful for me. And it just spoke volumes. And as a matter of fact, it made it easier for me to continue to move in that space with her and with everybody else. Yeah, it's you know? like you guys were able to grieve your infertility together, and then you were able to celebrate her child together. Yes. Yeah. And I would say to anyone listening, if you have someone in your life who is walking through infertility, it can be very uncomfortable, especially if you're having babies. Um, but that is a very lonely place for a person who, and a couple who are not able to have children. It can feel very lonely because you don't want to talk about it all the time, especially with your friends having babies. So um, I would just encourage people to just to walk in. And I, again, it depends on the person. Some people don't want you to ask. <laughs> yeah. um, and that really takes discernment. But. I think trying to be sensitive and walking with someone who is walking through infertility. Mm-hmm. And she was a really close friend. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think just, uh, I find it, you know, just to reiterate what I find so incredible about it is that you're just not scared of doing the hard thing. Like the hard thing of, of being around uh, pregnant ladies. You know what I mean? Like you're just, you're not going to, you know that you can't run away from it, and so you just face the hard thing. And I think that is, uh, I, I think it's so rare, actually, in today's culture. And, I mean, I, I think that you'd be willing to share this, too. But speaking of running and doing the hard thing, not being, you know, trying to just avoid being around pregnant women and things like that, can you tell us about... Um, in youth ministry in the States, I remember there was the family, um, that came down and, um, you know, I'm talking about. Yes. Yes. Let me share that. If you will. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we moved back to the States, 2004, we have a miscarriage, 2005, pretty much exactly a year later. Um, Katrina, we, we had moved and Mark started working at a church as a youth pastor and Hurricane Katrina hit in the fall of 2005. Lots of families were displaced and one family in particular moved to our city. And we worked at a uh, primarily middle, middle class white Baptist church. Mm -hmm. And this was an African-American family with two teenage girls, was a grandmother and some teenagers. And um, someone brought them to our church on the day that we were going on a retreat. And there began (laughs) a relationship with these two girls um, that I just, we quickly fell in love with. 
well, I say quickly, they were, they were not excited about, obviously, about this humongous cultural change that they just were right. thrown into. Yeah, they... From a natural disaster. Yeah. Um, showed up at the church the, the day we're leaving for a retreat with, and went with us for the weekend. Um, with a group of kids they did not know. It was and, for them. Yeah. So that that's where the relationship began. But then it was actually a year later. That, that's a whole other story. I could tell you about that whole year. But a year later, the Lord had graciously, um, you know, in that time, I just continued to have to surrender to him. Like, okay, God, this life is short. I want to give my life away. I can't control when my family starts, but here's my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to be. So we, a year later, the, the older sister, she, at that point, she was 16, and she came to me and told me she was pregnant and asked me if I could take her to the doctor. And so they didn't have any transportation, and I had been taking them to the grocery store and stuff like that over the year. And, you know, I was like, wow. Well, no, we had just, we had already started the process to adopt our daughter from China. So we had just started all the paperwork. So I was, you know, going through all that at the time. But so as I'm, we're waiting for our baby from, from China, I start taking her to doctor's appointments and, I, you know, I take her to the, her first ultrasound and I'm in there with her. And the ultrasound starts and the heart is just beating as strongly and as beautifully as it could. And I just, I had to excuse myself and I, I was just overcome with emotion. Like I cannot believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm watching this. This is beautiful, but painful. Yeah. And, and so you know, we finished the appointment. I take her home. I call a friend on the way home just to process that. And at one point the friend was like, Sherry, you do not have to do this. Someone else can take her to these appointments. And, you know, so I listened for a minute and we hang up and I just felt like the Lord was saying, no, I'm asking you to do this. Hmm. This is, this is from me. And, and I knew that to say no to this opportunity, you know, to protect myself, just maybe that wasn't from the Lord. Again, I'm not saying that would have been bad, but I felt very clear that the Lord was asking me to walk with her and experience him in this. And it was, man, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, just to think, you know, not too long ago, you know, we were in the doctor's office uh, checking for a heartbeat and the doctor saying it doesn't look like there's no, there's no heartbeat, you know, so just to even add that piece of the story. And now she's, you know, Sherry's in there with this young lady and there's a strong heartbeat and and you know again back to is god in control of this to think here's a 16 year old girl who had zero intention to get pregnant um was not looking for it but is god still the author of this life you know Hmm. could he have prevented this life absolutely did he no but for his own namesake and for his own glory 
he allowed conception here. And this sweet woman, she was 16 then. I was actually the only one with her in the, in the delivery room. Um, she asked me to be her, her daughter's godmother. Um, we have stayed in contact. She just came, she now has four kids, stayed at our house. Um, and in, in all of this, uh, just to think about celebrating life and, you know, kind of growing up, uh, it's not just growing up in the South, but growing up thinking, you know, uh, you know, wow, you, you want to be married and then you want to have babies. You don't want to not be married and have babies. And that's, that's biblical. You, you want to be married first, but you know, you know, I'm one of the, you know, youth pastors at this large church and Sherry is celebrating life. You know, she's not celebrating you know, anything else, she's celebrating life. And even in the midst of that, some of these young uh, juniors and seniors in high school that were the same age as this young lady um, were a part of a shower, you know, having a shower for this young lady and, and just pouring love upon her and like, hey, we're, we're here for you and uh, you're going to need these things. But within that, within that, there was there were people within the church that were very upset about that. Um, and so be trying to talk with them and to just say, Hey, this is why we're doing what we're doing, but just even to go home and continue to encourage Sherry to walk in this way, um, in the midst of even, and now this wasn't any of the pastors of the church, um, that were upset about it, but just some of the people. So even that just, just even when you're pressing in, doing something that's personally hard for you, there can be other people that at the same time are actually trying to discourage you from entering into these broken situations because it might communicate a different story to some of the other young women. That hmm. it's, so we, we just tr- had to trust the Lord with, with that. But Sherry just kept entering in after, you know, door was open after door was open. And she just kept walking through it. And yeah. And then it's like, will you be with me here? And then, you know, as I give birth. And so there Sherry is. and <laughs> In the delivery room. Yeah. Yeah. That's, cool. That's awesome. And you, you said you're still in contact with her. And um, so that's going on all the while you are, have started the adoption process with your daughter. Yes. So pick back up. And this might end up being a two-part, a two-part. Yeah, like, it's so hard not to yeah. go into so much detail. Um, so, yeah. So we started the process. Again, a whole other story, how we landed on China. And um, we were told in the beginning that it would be six to nine months. And it that was happened to be around the time. So interesting that Stephen Curtis Chapman was doing a lot of campaigns and tons of people were sending applications to adopt from China. And I feel like uh, the process got slower and slower. So our six to nine month wait turned into two and a half years. And that was a whole other, you know, struggle of waiting and trusting and believing. And so uh, fast forward to 2007, and that was actually the same year. So 
I think a minute ago, I got a little mixed up with the timeline, but uh, our friend had her baby in March of 2007. No, no, no. Yes. I don't remember. I don't remember what are some days. I know. (laughs) Yes, of March of 2007. And we traveled to China later that year in December. Uh, So we, yeah, we adopted our beautiful daughter, Sophie May in december after all the waiting on your birthday right yes best birthday gift you ever had it was um and it just felt like one more fingerprint of god of him saying look i am writing this story and i write the best stories and i'm going to throw in all the little details so when we got our itinerary from the adoption agency it was like december 17th gotcha day (laughs) Which is your birthday. Which is my birthday, yes. You know what? I was just thinking, too, like the the interweaving of some stories is like our little girl is named after Sophie in many ways. Her middle name is the Chinese May. Yep. Because of, uh, yeah. So So, you know, you're starting to touch on it, but how did you see some of just the sovereignties in of God in miscarriage, in adoption, in, in just all of it leading up to Sophie Mae's coming home with you. Yeah. Honestly, you know, it was year, just in that it was like Mark said, it just felt like the Lord just kept opening doors and just, just walk through them. And it wasn't until years later that I feel like that, just kept getting clearer, clearer when you look back and remember. And it, you know, Hillary, I feel like you and I have talked about this several times. You know, the scriptures are full of that. When you look back and see God's faithfulness and it's so fueling for the future. But when we looked back and see, wow, he did all this. And oh, it's so clear now um, that he was weaving something. And again that whole the the picture of him writing a story and I think it's in a book somewhere but a friend had shared it with me that he's writing this story and all the details do not try to take the pen out of his hand right and I think that's the struggle is that in the midst of it we really believe we have a better story our plan is better our timeline is better um, our desires should reign supreme over this whole situation. And he is, he patiently says, let go and let me write this story because I write the best stories. So yeah, all that. I would say, I would say just thinking of the Lord's providence in all of this to, to even go back all the way to college, Sherry and I dating, graduating, getting married, but there was this, there was this guy that that was beginning to, uh, he was a preacher, he was writing these books, his name's John Piper, and he wrote this book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And it just, you know, he had this one book, he still has it, uh, Desiring God. And just this thought of God is most glorified in us when we were most satisfied in him, that really just resonated with me. I became a Christian at an early age, had a great youth pastor, but there was something about, that particular articulation of 
our walk with the Lord, my satisfaction is found in him. And that's what brings him the most glory. Um, it, yes, I'm going to go share my faith. Yes, I want to uh, be obedient. But there's something about finding my fullness and my hope and everything in him. Then reading Let the Nations Be Glad and just being so excited about being a part of the nations. Um, and then even going back a little bit to high school, remember, I don't, I, I'm the worst with scripture, scripture memory, um, but I memorized uh, Lamentations 3, 22 through 24, and it's just stuck with me all these years. And it's um, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Hmm. And, you know, memorizing that in high school and, you know, meditating on it, thinking about the truths of it, if you would, through college, but then experiencing the realities of that in my marriage and, and with miscarriage and all of these things coupled with I want to find my delight in the Lord and in his ways and trust him and even in that verse it is the um you know the Lord is my portion therefore I'll wait for him he is my he's my all so I'll wait for him so what am I waiting for and in my mind probably younger it was I wait for him to give me the desires of my heart give me what I want but I, I believe that his providence and sovereignty over these years and still does show me this is that what I'm waiting for is for 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 the Lord himself um, mm -hmm. to to come in to comfort to lead us and to guide us and and so I think I think some of those truths were weaved in and out throughout you know the past uh, 24 you know, years of, of being married, but then even add a few more years from high school. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that even Sherry said earlier, it's more of a looking back and seeing, okay, I yeah. think, I think that's why the Lord wanted me to really know that scripture in high school so that he could help me. He could help show the reality of it, uh, in my marriage. Yeah. And you know, I, this is kind of a side note, but something we've been talking a little bit about here and there. But, you know, in college ministry, we're always telling people, you know, there's no other time like now where you'll really be able to be in the Word and memorize these scriptures. And I remember telling girls in campus ministry that, like, the truths you learn now will help carry you through in busier seasons or other seasons. Not mm -hmm. that we're not going to be pursuing the Lord mm -hmm. in future seasons, but I think I've been seeing that in my life recently where these things that I feel like I really grew in and began to like head knowledge learn in campus ministry um, are like being applied and like being more real to my heart now. And so it's kind of like, I don't know, I guess I'm hearing you say a similar thing there. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but picking back up. So, Sophie comes home with you. <laughs> yes. And, and a lot of that was, um, did, didn't we, did we talk about that part in another podcast? Yeah. I, don't remember. I can't remember. Um, but 
we became parents to this beautiful baby. And I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like everything went away after that, but there is something that was definitely satisfied (laughs) there in just the sweetest way. And so she, we adopted Sophie, we moved back to Thailand. Um, She has just been a healthy, beautiful, sweet blessing on our life. Mm -hmm. And we were in Thailand for about three years. And then we adopted our son, Nate. And um, he has been, yep. And then the same thing that just, you know, looking back and we are this family of four that we cannot imagine it being any different. We can't imagine that without God's very specific timing, we thought several times during that wait on both of their adoptions and just not being able to be again in control of the timing of that. If it had been my timeline, it would have been different children. (laughs) You know, they weren't born yet. Yeah, that's right. Um, But God knew exactly when and exactly how, and he was, he was designing our family Mm -hmm. and his timing. And, um, Mm -hmm. and they're about as precious as they could be. And Mm -hmm. there we, yeah, we just can't imagine our family looking any different. (laughs) Yeah. And you just couldn't. You couldn't tell me that I'm not I'm not their dad, you know, and Sherry's not their mom. No, no one would want to do that. But there is just this I can't I can't imagine, you know, you know, just what what life would be like without Sophie and Nate, you know, and mm-hmm. just being able to be be dad to them and in love on them and you know, I I did, yeah, I just, it, it blows my mind. And I think both of their stories that, you know, Sherry and I both, you know, we enjoy talking and sharing, but there is, both of their stories really is, there's there's a lot of ups and downs in the process. And that's what she was saying, even to be able to, um, to bring them home. And so even in that, it was like, wow, Lord, this is, this is tough. And then even just one thing, even, you know, which is a somewhat of a different topic, but just even when we were able to get Nate and he's with us in our family, um, we already knew that we were, we were transitioning back to the States. Like that's another story for another time, but just the ministry was, was going well in Thailand. The ties were doing the work. So it was time for us to transition and different thing. Um, And so uh, we actually were about to get Nate. We we're about to get him. And um, we realized if we, if we go get him right now, we're going to forfeit, we're going to forfeit the opportunity to go ahead and bring him home and him go ahead and be considered an American, an American citizen. citizen. If we, because it was a fat, a little, it was a slow process but then it was a fast process all of a sudden. And so we had to make the decision. He just stays in the orphanage for a good while and we fill out this paperwork or we go ahead and get him and we potentially, and we may have to live in Thailand for how much longer? Well, at that point we thought like six years. Yeah. So we thought, 
it could be yeah. six more years. So it's like, okay, we're going to go get him and trust the Lord with <laughs> being here in Thailand. Cause we love Thailand. We love the Thai people. We're going back this summer. Um, but in, in all of that, there was a, it, there was a difficulty with just, again, our plans, our thoughts, our career, our family, all these things. Yeah. But you're saying that's my boy and I'm not going home without him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not going home without him and but definitely not going to leave him, you know, just leave him. Even if it's a good orphanage, we're just not going to leave him there. We're going to go get him right yeah. now. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, that's my first memory of you all is that there was at my first probably week or so on staff with Campus Outreach, um, you all video called in during our CO prayer meeting, and we were all praying that you'd be able to bring Nate to um, the U.S. for the Global Staff Conference. Yeah. And I think God answered that prayer. I think yeah. that he was he able did. to come. He did. So that's my first memory of the Lewis family is praying that Nate would get to to come to the U.S. that summer. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah, we were able to convince uh, the U.S. government that we would come to the States and then we would go back to Thailand. And we did. Yep. Um, So just in all that, you've touched on it a little bit. How do you see a display of the gospel through parenting and through adoption? Oh, well, um, just the biggest thing that comes to mind is just God's unconditional love and patience with us. And, you know, the gospel is just so, um, such a beautiful picture of just redemption. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that we... I don't know why it took me a while. Um, Again, this could be a whole different conversation for a different day, but coming from infertility, I was viewing adoption from that mindset of make a family, you know, fulfill desires. And I think it was later down the road, it just kind of hit me. Adoption really is born out of brokenness, Hmm. um, no matter how you look at it. And so it, it's a picture of redemption. Something has broken, and that's why there's even a need for adoption. Yeah. And I think, so again, for, from parents who've been longing to, to have children, adoption is a fulfillment of that. Um, but it really, yeah, it just, to me, it's a picture of redemption. Something broke somewhere. And God is making something else beautiful. And just like the gospel of him inviting us in mm-hmm. and redeeming what's broken. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, um, I guess to kind of bring it back full circle, you guys have talked about a lot of lordship decisions and just kind of pushing forward. Um, I can't remember how you worded it, but just kind of like taking it, as it comes and making the small lordship decisions that turned into big ones. And I think back to, you know, holding up the birth control and throwing it away. You thought the lordship decision was to have 12 kids or something like that, or, or, or really six, you know, six kids. But, you know, the lordship decisions turns around and it's, it's to be, a, to have two children, it's to be the family of four. 
and to not try to write your own story to to make something happen that was not the Lord's plans. So very, very, very sweet, very beautiful. Um, And I guess just kind of as we wrap up, is there anything else that you kind of would like to add or want to leave us with as we as we hop off here? I think I think just because it's Christmas season right now, I don't know when you're going to release this, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's Christmas here in December, in December. Um, I think there's something cool that I've always thought. I mean, since we really began the adoption process of just looking at at Joseph, you know, Jesus's uh, earthly dad and and, you know, there's not much written about him. You know, uh, but you see a faithfulness there. But in all of that, I'm not going to get into any details, but I just think it's pretty cool that Jesus himself came and he was part of a family that was he had an adopted dad. You know, now this is my mom, you know, which is crazy. You know, Mary's my mom. Joseph, this is my adopted dad. And and Joseph loved on him. But just even. Even our own Lord and Savior was a part of a family that adoption was a part of that, part of Jesus' own yeah. story. And so that's a that's just a little something. That's good. That's good. Anything else that y'all want to leave us with? I think I think just the truth and another thing just throughout that whole time that God kept bringing up or maybe for us as a family we would use the language of being god-centered and not man-centered and i think it's a temptation in suffering um to make it centered on us and our desires and how are we going to fix this mm-hmm. and i think there is just an incredibly freeing place to keep things and, and again, our, my heart wants to make me the center all the time. And through that, through our whole story and until the day I meet Jesus face to face, I'm going to struggle. But it's, I would just say for any of us suffering or walking through disappointment, if we can just continue to keep shifting the focus to God and his glory and not me and my desires, um, there's there there is a lot more treasure to be found there. Mm-hmm. There's the there is the uh, the thought of how we have to always look at the gospel, the truths of scripture, the story of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, um, and we have to do that. We have to look at the gospel. But I think some of this that the Lord is still uh, helping us with and showing us is that. As you look at the gospel, you also have to look through the gospel. You have to look through, you have to look at the world through gospel lenses. So yeah. you're looking at the gospel for life and salvation and for help and for hope. But then in the midst of suffering or in the midst of joy, you're also putting the lens of the gospel and just saying, Lord, how do you want me to see the world? How do you want me to enter into these circumstances, these situations? How do you want me to? To make decisions, how do you want me to do things? Because I'm, I can look objectively at 
at the truth of I'm a sinner, I need Christ, but how do I look at how do I look at infertility? How do I look at adoption? How do I look at um a young woman coming and saying, Hey, will you be with, you know, Sherry in the in the room when I when I give birth? And and there is something in there that the Lord he he calls us to share in his sufferings, but he also calls us to share in his his joy. And I think there's something there um, of just yes, being being gospel centered and also looking through the lens of the gospel um, for the for the world and for life. And what are the things you know? Even even right now in our in our culture, what are the things that how can I look through the gospel to help see the beauty in the midst of a lot of brokenness and how can I enter into this versus just, just solely judging it one way or the other. So that's good. That's, that's awesome. Right. Well, I tell you, I, it's really been a prep. Uh, <laughs> it's been a privilege <laughs> and uh, it's been very encouraging. I, Mark, Sherry, I appreciate both of you all. Yeah, thanks for being on with us tonight. Well, we appreciate you all. Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.